A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You're how old, Sarah? I'm 33. I'll be 34 this day next week. Okay, sorry. I, I, know, I know that I've just I've broken the cardinal <laughs> rule of like... What's the opposite of a happy belated birthday? Never ask a lady her age. happy early birthday. Yeah, um, I'll be but, doing the pod from Sweden on my birthday next week. Well, fair play for your dedication. Yes. What I was going to... The reason I was asking was because... I would have thought it was relatively late to develop hay fever for the first time in your life. Yeah, so I'm a new comer hay yeah. fever. What is Welcome going aboard. On? Yeah. But it's brutal. It's been terrible this week, isn't it? It is brutal. There's something called a pollen bomb, uh, which isn't so much that there is like an extra, extra bomb of pollen, but basically it's a combination of, because of climate change, good old climate change again, yeah. tree pollen season is getting later, so it used to finish in mid-May and it's now creeping on a bit. Grass pollen season used to start in late May and it's now getting earlier, but the peaks are more intense. And because May was both warm and wet, the pollen is more potent as it's being released from different grass species right now. Which means that this week in particular, because we've had a bit of a sustained dry period, but there's rain that mists it all up as well, oh. it has just been miserable. Well, solidarity yeah. with my fellow hay fever. <laughs> how, 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 how could they Keep produce a COVID vaccine that quickly and still not have a vaccine for hay fever? Just please, please, pharmaceutical gods, make it happen. <laughs> Hello, you're very welcome along to this week's edition of The Group Chat. I'm news correspondent Richard Chambers. I'm joined by my fellow news correspondent, Zara King. Hello, how are you? And political correspondent, Gavin Riley. Hi, Richard, how are you? Um, let's start with the obvious. A lot of politicians not happy with Michael D. Higgins. <laughs> and he's not happy about house prices no. and housing in general. Uh, he's angry, actually. He's, he's, he's quite... Well, Zara, you were there. You were at that, yeah. covering that event. And you, you were even telling us that even from the moment... We'll, we'll play the clip in a second for, for people who... Everyone's heard us, but like yeah. for, for those who didn't. But even when he was getting out of the car, you thought, this guy's... This guy's wound was, up about something. Yeah, I thought he was a bit wound up, actually. So he arrived at the event and I was like, oh, he was, you know, I just felt like he might have been like powering himself up for this big speech or something because he definitely seemed like maybe he was like slightly off form. But actually now with the benefit of hindsight, having seen the speech, I now realise that actually he was just really raring to go. Um, the speech began. We were sent a copy of the speech beforehand, which would be obviously very normal. Journalists mm. get sent out a copy of the speech just and it's always kind of check against delivery mm. is the caveat. Oh my God. Which mean, yeah. <laughs> Check against delivery never had a more significant meaning than so what is, it did. Is that just that was it all off script? Did he, did he depart? Oh, was Gavin. it a real creed de coeur or was it all written on his page? I don't think he looked at the script. I mean, it was 18 minutes in total. I think there was the odd moment where he had a quick flick through the pages while he was sort of rolling. And he, I think he was just like, do you know what? I've gone this far now. There's no point. I think he might have gone back to the page at the very end just to sort of do yeah. the formalities at the very end. But look, it was... Um, it was remarkable. He was very angry. Um, he's very frustrated by the situation when it comes to housing. At the end of the speech, when he sat down, I would go so far as to say he was almost kind of emotional. Like, I thought that he was kind of almost trembling at the end of it. It was, it really felt in the moment when you were watching him speak that like we were watching kind of a real, just a really powerful, powerful moment. I think it's something that people, if they can get a transcript of it, if somebody manages to type if up someone those 18 minutes. Delivery. Yeah, check against delivery. Hell of a job to, to type we'll that one out. that for, for times to come. I, I'd agree, looking at that, there was a, a great deal of, of, of fervour in that speech. There's a lot of emotion to it. Uh, adding his voice, I suppose, to many, many thousands of people now over many, many years who've pointed out to this, including himself. He has done mm. this mm. before, perhaps not to the level sort of visceral anger that he showed here. And not using the, not using the office that he's currently got right now either, yeah. which adds a certain level of potency to it. But yeah. definitely something a little bit different about this one. Let's have a little li listen to what Michael D. Higgins had to say. 
the outlook is getting darker in relation to the middle parts of our population. I feel that I, as President, have to speak very directly about this. Housing and the basic needs of society should never have been left to the market. So President Michael D. Higgins there rattling a few cages too. We are going to go though to our first guests who have joined us in the studio, Kieran Mulqueen from Crazy House Prices. Kieran, thank you very much for coming into studio. I'm on to, it. Thank to join you. the group chat this evening. Kieran, uh, Michael D. Higgins says our housing situation is a, is a disaster. What say you? I was actually delighted to hear him come out so strongly about the housing market. It's, uh, it's rare you, you, you would see a president, I suppose, step outside of what they're really supposed to talk about or comment on. Um, uh, like, I think he was absolutely spot on. Everything he said, that that last line about being the kind of golden child for foreign investment funds, like, that's I that's what I'm hearing all the time, all day, every day. And it's good to see the older generation, I suppose, kind of on the same side. Um, and I hope, he. I, I think he's, what, three years left on, on his term? I hope he spends... Yeah. This la- the last few years of his of his term as president uh, continuing to b- beat this drum because it's not happening enough uh, mm. or outside of like kind of I suppose our generation. Um, and, so and I, I was it. I know and it's I we know we kind of said it earlier but like you are a real go to person now for anyone sort of late twenties early thirties is trying to buy a house so they're messaging you like you're hearing the anecdotes every single day so what we hear from the president you're actually hearing the real stories reflected by that you know even in the last couple of days what are the type of anecdotes you're hearing from people it's it's getting worse and worse I think every week I'm like right we've maybe hit the the threshold of of uh, of gloom but it's uh, it's it is it's getting worse and now with the interest rate hikes and all the rest, people are just really, really squeezed. And if they were already priced out, it's it's even worse now. So it's it's getting a bit more depressing for me to read so many of these messages all day, every day. But it's um, I I think I'm, I'm quite an empathetic person, yeah. and being a teacher as well, I've teach senior infants. So and now I've I've my own baby that I I think I've just gone like even worse. And now everything I'm taking in is. It's heavy. It is heavy it must be reading. Like very emotionally like, draining to try and keep that level of empathy because yeah. now that you've become like the go-to person for our generation, that if you've got a terrible story about how expensive housing is, the first person you go and tell is you. You, you go and find your Instagram account. So, like being the like the depository for everyone else's gloom must be pretty emotionally trying for you as well. It is. Yeah, I'm lucky. I'm. I, my mental health and stuff is quite good. I'm. I'm fine. Like I'm not saying I'm. I'm. I'm struggling or anything. But it is. I don't know if I'm the go-to, but I guess. Oh, you are I the go-to. I always yeah. Thought, yeah, no, you absolutely are the go-to. <laughs> but I thought yeah. maybe at the start it was because people weren't getting an ear at home. Maybe their parents, they don't get it. Or previous generations, they don't get it. It's, they, they always think, well, it was hard for us as well to get a house or to get a home. Um, when in fact, statistically, it's actually a lot harder now mm. than, than ever before. Mm. With uh, Dara Turnbull did great uh, research on this. Um, and that's what I thought it was because, you know, no one was listening to them at home. Um, but I guess the page is getting bigger and bigger. It's, it's hitting more ears, more eyes every day. So they, it is a lot of messages. But yeah, it's, it's, it is tough. It's, it's not good. What's generally the worst sort of stuff that you hear? Is it, is it mostly to do with, you know, the situation with regarding... You, you'd often see it like ads on Daft. 
this is what often goes viral for people, whether it's on Instagram or on Twitter, about you know extortionate prices being charged for tiny little rooms or really poorly equipped houses. Or is the situation like I have Instagram messages today from people sort of saying that what they're hearing when they're trying to buy a house and mortgage advisors asking permanent teachers, well, why did you go and get your coffee in Costa today? You should be saving your money. That sort of stuff seems to be really common for people. What sort of gets to you the most when you're reading what people are sending you about their own situation with housing? It is a wide kind of, a wide range of different problems, I suppose. Some of the worst ones are like you hear a lot of people that are in like awful relationships and maybe they're broken up or maybe it's it's a volatile relationship, but they can't leave because they've nowhere to go. Mm. That is horrific. Um, people that are renting, maybe they have a couple of kids or maybe they don't, or it's somebody renting on their own, but that, that worry of being turfed out any moment and having like no security there. And then people having to move in with their parents. Not everybody gets on with their parents, you know, like it's, there's just so many different issues and, all of, the, all of them we solve by just having more affordable homes for people to, to move into. It's... That probably brings us to um, Michelle Pluck, who I was telling you about earlier on. So we were speaking to Michelle today about her situation and she is a mum of two. She's married, she's an eight-year-old and a one-year-old. And Michelle um, is living in rented accommodation in a house and in a state that she actually wanted to buy in but wasn't able to buy at the time. So she thought, you know, it's fine, we'll get to rent there for a little while. Um and they had a three-year lease. So she was kind of happy enough that they could park the buying for a while because obviously with the pandemic and everything, she's a hairdresser, her job was uncertain and she couldn't get the mortgage approval sorted. So they signed a three-year lease, they move into this house and then she just found out last night that the landlord wants to sell the house now. So after seven months of living there, moving the whole family there, um, she now has to find somewhere else to live. She's three months to find somewhere. The issue for Michelle is that if she wants to stay within that community, there's only three houses online, full stop, in that area. And the most affordable one is just over 2000 a month. So we can take a quick listen to what she had to say to us today. The biggest fear is that you would become homeless because, I mean, growing up, I would have looked at people homeless and wondered how they got in that situation. But now it's very scary that it's families like myself that are working, that are actually becoming homeless because they not only can't afford to buy a house, they can't afford to rent a house. Um, so I suppose that's the biggest fear that we won't have a roof over our head um, which obviously we will do everything within our power to have a house for my family and my children especially but yeah, that's my biggest fear right now So the point that Michelle is making is that you know she is afraid of being homeless and that's her reality right now and she still has to tell her eight-year-old son that you know the house he settled into and the garden and the swing set and all the things that they've put in place to try and make him feel at home, that all of that now has to be upheav- upheaval and that there's change. And she's not the only person in that situation. And you you know that well, Kieran, because you're hearing from those people. But also, you know, Michelle is a hairdresser. Her husband it works in sales. Like, they both have pretty decent jobs, in fairness. And they have their savings. Like, you know, in theory, they could well afford to repay a mortgage, but they can't get one. Yeah, like I even got messages from two doctors that couldn't afford to rent near where they both work. Like it's, it's just really, it's shocking. And it shouldn't really matter what your job is, you know. Um, everybody should have access to a secure home. And for an eight-year-old child to have that fear of not knowing 
like where they're going to live. Like maybe when they start, they're eight, they're probably going into third class. Like when they start third class or fourth class, or, or um, they've already just done their first communion or something. And yeah, something like it's class again. It's like that. That no child should have to worry about that, you know, regardless of what their parents do. So it's uh, it's it's really shocking, and it's just like if they can maybe get a mortgage, but it's not going to bridge that gap between what they can afford and what's available for them to buy, and. It's unfortunately just a really common story at the moment. It's particularly grim when you think of someone like that who is too well off to get any kind of real state aid to house mm. themselves, but clearly is not so well off that they can actually afford to buy a home of their own, which is a really awful middle ground to be in. Um, do you get a little bit worried that sometimes, like even for example, we're recording this on a Wednesday evening, and today there was new figures from the CSO about how uh, house prices had gone up by 14.8%, I think, in the last 12 months up to April. And there was almost some like sense of relief or some joy in, in the tone of some of the headlines because it was it had been fifteen point one percent the previous month, so it's only grown by fourteen point eight percent. That's good news. It's cooling off, and people being blind as to the fact that that's still like a fifteen percent increase in house prices in a year yeah. on top of a level that people couldn't already afford. It's it's crazy, and it's it's coming down to the the lack of actual homes available for people to buy so if you'll forgive me for looking at my phone I have some notes here like mm. from the from the CSO as you, as you mentioned and like the average number of homes so we hear the government come out and say we're building x amount of homes 20,000 homes whatever 21,000 homes a year the number the average number of homes that have come to the market available for people to buy oh, between 2016 and 2021 is 6,991 a year that's that's it available to buy and then all the rest are, are either like social housing or they're being used for other or just investment properties that or are only rental built to rent yeah. yeah um and so and then some other figures like so looking at the stamp duty transactions between 2017 and 2021 so in 2017 the state and investment investors so non-households purchased 16.77 percent of all uh, homes in 2017, but in 2021 that jumped up to 40.75 percent. That's a huge jump. And and when you consider the, the volume of properties that's being produced now, which is higher than it was three or four years ago, that basically a quarter of everything is now being taken by them on top of what they were already taking anyway. Yeah, well, 40 percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if it's gone from like 16 to like 41, oh, yeah, yeah, then yeah. It's, it already was one in six, mm. and then it's a quarter of everything else as well. That's mad. It's that shocking. absolutely crazy. And the number of, of owner-occupiers then, so the number of owner-occupiers that bought in 2017 was 53.48%. Mm-hmm. And in 2021, that dropped down to 36.34%. That's nationally. Yeah. And in Dublin, it's, it's a lot worse. So in Dublin, the, the non-household funds jumped from 36.68% of all stock it to in 2021 up to 65 percent of all stock oh, in Dublin gosh. in 2021. That's stamp duty transactions on the CSO website. And then in terms of owner occupiers in 2017, it was 56.69 percent, and that has dropped right down to 31.38 percent in 2021 of owner occupiers. So it's like you, we can't compete with billion dollar funds we can't compete mm. with the state mm. and when we're all trying to fight over six odd six thousand homes a year that's that's why we are where we are that's why the prices are so outrageous yeah and it is something and, and thanks for for doing what you do on instagram because you've given voice to a lot of people who haven't been able to share their stories or their stories haven't been heard 
uh, with regards to the situation. So, Kieran McQueen from Crazy House Prices, thank you so much for coming into the thanks. group chat today. Thanks, so, thanks. Sorry, it's so <laughs> depressing, but <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much for having me. Right, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So Kieran from Crazy House Prices, there, um, a pretty grim picture he yeah. has. We don't, we don't mean to on depress this. listeners, but like it is, it's... When oh, you it's the reality. Through, when you go through the figures like that, it's very difficult to escape the idea that like the, the dream of owning your own home is dying for an awful lot of people, which is maybe why the president's comments have struck such a chord with people, because it's nice to hear someone in authority just take it on like that. It's also what our listeners are telling us. Like I mentioned one, one listener comment there as well. A couple of others though. Michelle messaging on Instagram to say seller won't accept our bid of 30,000 euros above asking, demanding more, even though they're the only bidder left. Uh, Alana saying we're renting a damp house with my husband and my son. Both lost our jobs in the pandemic, only back saving now. We feel like our house deposit was derailed by COVID and we're only getting back on our feet. Marie, sale agreed for eight months, pregnant, sellers pulled last minute to make more money. And one more, and this is an interesting situation because you you do hear about this from time to time, even from multinational companies. Mm. Uh, Louise messaging and saying an email from the creche this week to advise that they may have to close some rooms imminently as the staff they have hired are unable to find anywhere to live. They did a recruitment drive in Spain for staff, but the company are now desperately trying to find accommodation. Them. And this is something you do hear a lot about. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not just one thing with housing. There is the rental situation and the quality of houses which are now available for people mm-hmm. to live in. There is the affordability uh, and people trying to buy homes. Overall, this thing, it's very hard for anybody to make the case against what Michael D. Higgins is yeah. trying to say. Oh, yeah, I mean, I had one person tell me they went to see a cottage in the sea centre, a one-bed cottage. I think it was about 27 square metres and they went to the viewing and it was like tiny. There wasn't even a bedroom in it. And when they went to see it, there was also bunk beds in the cottage and there was about six people living in it, mm. renting it at the time. Like how are, how are six people so, living like, in a one-bed cottage, people, 27 like, square metres? 27 square metres is like one of those like those real shoeboxes that you see yeah. in the IKEA showroom where they're like trying to show you how you can intelligently make yeah. use of a rectangle of that space. Like sleeping six people in that. Long beds. I was on, you know the way Google Photos does the thing where it brings you back and shows you what we were doing this day last mm-hmm. year? Yeah. It was actually this day last year that I was out viewing a house 
uh, myself and my girlfriend Louise were looking to, to, to buy somewhere and there's a house somewhere in Dublin and I can effectively tell you that it was abandoned after the previous owner who was a landlord kicked out all the tenants and was like I need to make money off this mm. and effectively what we were greeted with was a cell block when we walked into I remember it. you sending us a video of that very tiny all these rooms basically in a long row of a corridor they basically divided rooms into smaller rooms there was dead mice in the kitchen fly infestations and it's like what's the price for this and I think it was something like 400 grand and it was just but like what day, is what are people what are people, what are meant, people to do? meant to do and you I remember we had this conversation the day you yeah. sent us that and you were like well maybe we could fix it up like that was a legitimate like, thing that you were considering isn't it just time. like an illustration of just how massively dysfunctional it is you'd think that if you're a, a landlord or a property owner and you're, you're trying to put your best foot forward to sell a property mm. that you would at the very least remove the dead rodents from the place before you open it up for a viewing to a prospective buyer top tip but that they're get rid of the rats like, but, yeah. but, you know but what, it's Gavin, such a seller's market that they don't have to yeah. remove exactly, dead yeah. rodents from a kitchen no, they don't. That's crazy. No. One thing I do think is interesting about this as time has rolled on is that the ire of some politicians has turned completely on President Michael D. Higgins. Which is insane. Um, yeah. insane. That, that there has been such an uproar and there's been such outrage that so many uh, TDs and ministers have decided to off the record have a go at yeah. the president. At least he's putting his name to these comments, yes. we should say. Well, it- but why is there such outrage from politicians about this more so to the public. Yeah. Just looking at this from, from taking off the journalist's hat, if you remember the public and you're seeing what's what's happening from politicians responding to the president, mm. they'd be asking, why are they so annoyed about this as opposed to the situation yeah. which he is detailing in great, in, in, I to, think to such a richer detail? This might be too lofty a salu- uh, an answer to that, but I think it's that until the, pre- the president, who is like at the top, top, top level of stuff, wades in, the official government line on housing, the official government narrative on what was going on was, like, yeah, it's tough going out there, but we are flinging a huge amount of money at this problem to try and make it better. And you're going to see improvement soon. And that is completely undermined. This sense of progress is just around the corner. Mm. is completely obliterated by the guy who was one step above them in the food chain going, this isn't even a crisis. This is a disaster. Uh, the reason, by the way, and we won't get too much into the whole constitutional nuance, but the reason why those politicians are briefing off the record that they're unhappy with it is because if they said so on the record, there's the risk of forcing the president to resign, which would be a huge political thing. It's only ever happened once before where a defence minister basically got drunk at a do, uh, said that a president was a thundering disgrace. disgrace. Thundering was not (laughs) his words, allegedly. Mm. Um, But uh, had a go at the president for like not referring a bill to the court or something. And the president was like, well, fine, then I'm going to resign. And it would be entirely possible if you had ruptured relationships between the government and the Taoiseach, or the government and the president, that Michael D could quit over it. So they have to be sort of quiet over it, but you can understand why privately if they feel like they want people to recognise that things are about to get better, that suddenly Michael D just popping that bubble straight away is is a bit of a political blow for them. I would say one thing just before we leave this, um, Michael D Higgins made a very clear appeal to all the county managers, a very yes. direct message when he said, go out, go through your county, find every derelict site. Because bearing in mind he was speaking at a property by the way, which we didn't say earlier on, Mm. which is now housing young people who are homeless in Kildare, age 18 to 25. But that particular property was actually a derelict site six years ago. It was actually a derelict farmhouse that had a couple of outhouses. It's incredible what they've done uh, with it. It's uh, Jigginstown, Tiglin and Jigginstown, really fantastic what they've done with it in terms of the building. It's beautiful apartments. You know, it's a real model for what could be done. And his point is, county managers, before your next monthly meeting, go do a drive through your county, make a list of those derelict properties and figure out how you're going to restore them into homes. And he talks about the importance of home. And I just want to say this as well, because it's something that we actually don't talk about very often in all of this because we're so busy, you know, 
talking about facts and figures, the reality is that he says home is a place where you start out and it's a base you come back to. Mm. He said it's a place where personalities are developed, where you feel safe, you have a sense of self, where the most intimate relationships are developed is behind closed doors in the home. And he talks about the fact that if you don't have that sense of home, the knock-on impact it has in terms of your sense of well-being and quality of life is enormous. Now, we know that, but it's to be reminded of that yeah. and the depths of all this, I think, was really significant. Yeah, and I think that is something which has been lost, particularly around Dublin and the major mm. cities. People of our generation, people who are our listeners, will basically almost find home as almost this functional thing that it's become. Mm. That yeah. it's, a, it's a room where they sleep before they go to work or they start a, a really long commute. Yeah. And that's not really what it's meant to be. So um, I think that the president has definitely kick-started something on this. And it's something I'm sure we'll be back to many, many more times in yeah, the Yeah, because he says that it's something that he's now taken to speaking about it very frankly. And, and if this is him and he's going to get more and more frank as time goes on, it, God, if politicians are angry about the, the truth of what he said this week, say they've got some rude awakening. I'm so going here for an off script, Michael D. Higgins. I'm so here for <laughs> it. Let him go. Let him rip. Yeah. Let Higgins be Higgins. But <laughs> another thing he might be tempted to talk about uh, is uh, the cost of living crisis. We have a number of protests which are planned across the country for this weekend, we have fuel prices at record highs again. I feel like we could say that at almost mm-hmm. every single week when we yeah. do the group chat. It's, it's gone up such an amazing amount, even since the last time we did one of these. Mm. Yeah. It's gone up 10 or 15 cent a litre. 11% in the past two weeks. The average cost of a litre of petrol, 2 euros, 13 cent. Diesel, at 2 euros and 5 cent. But the Environment Minister, Eamon Ryan, has brought a lot on him. And let's hear why. Just to be clear then, this so people can't expect any sort of improvement between now and Budget Day then. They're really going to find themselves having to just deal with everything now. I think Ministers Pascal Donoghue and, and Michael McGrath have made it clear that, that they want the time and to get it right by really working through the budget process. The budget process is a drawn out process. So that is several months away and people are in dire straits right now. Some people may not be able to afford to keep going between now and budget day. What do you say to those individuals? There aren't emergency measures. If families are in particular difficulty within our social welfare system, there are particular mechanisms and we said the same in our international energy security framework which we published two months ago. We said that all agencies, uh, energy companies, utilities that if they do have householders in difficulty they have to be engaged with in a way that helps them through this period not just forgotten about so there's no lack of immediate assistance if families are in, are in difficulty the social welfare system the energy companies and others have been set up and directed and given help to help those customers out we have to make sure through our social welfare system that no one is left in those circumstances where they can't afford the basic necessities then they should go to their social welfare officer uh, office and look for further assistance, which is available. Yeah, so Eamon Ryan speaking there earlier this week. Um, Pre-COVID. Pre- he then was subsequently uh, diagnosed with COVID a couple of hours later. Um, that was a bit of a... <laughs> sure, that was a word for, for those of you who were asked How close to Eamon Ryan were you today? Uh, I'd like to reveal that I actually was quite late for that doorstep and so therefore didn't get a good seat up the front. Um so I, I actually, myself and Mark reading my camera, we weren't actually particularly close when we were outside. And obviously we wish Eamon Ryan a speedy recovery. Um, however, the reaction to that, I mean, it was, I it was have never, yeah. I have to be straight with you in all the time, my DMs, the comments, I cannot get over how angry, like I'm not surprised that the people are angry, but I just cannot get over the volume mm. of people who sent messages, incredibly frustrated, incredibly angry, tagging social welfare on Twitter saying, I'll be into you tomorrow. Yeah. Tell us exactly what it is that we can Came name. Came the doll that you had Michael Healy Ray yeah. who was getting really irked about it. Like a guy who owns a forecourt who's very familiar with the difficulty people yeah. have, you know, filling up. And he was like, are you seriously telling me, Tishuk, Tishuk, are you genuinely saying 
that someone who's having a bit of bother filling the tank in their car or in their bus or in their tractor can go down to the social welfare office and say, here, give us a hand. And uh, the teacher tried to suggest that what had been reported was somehow out of context or that Eamon Ryan was well, being, heard being the misrepresented. Well, absolutely wasn't misrepresented. It's very difficult to misrepresent it. Well, it comes across so many different headings. We talked there about putting the costs, you know, the, the cost of filling a car with petrol. Energy bills, again, under the spotlight. The government says it's basically going to be giving €127 Euros back to consumers. That, though, next year. Interesting that I was speaking to, to somebody earlier on this week, Kevin O'Donovan, who basically he's managing director of one of Europe's largest renewable energy companies. And he's saying that we could actually have hard-baked in high energy bills because we have one of the highest energy bills mm. anywhere in Europe. And you, know, you won't hear the government <laughs> pointing to that figure when they, when they <laughs> point to league tables about where Ireland is in Europe. We're the fourth most insecure energy country in Europe as well. But basically saying that for all the talk that we have about energy bills, we could do a whole lot better based on the wind we have offshore. Mm. But our grid is just too banjaxed, basically, to take it all in. And that sort of stuff is infuriating. You you never hear Eamon Ryan admit that bit. He talks about like, you know, Ireland being the Saudi Arabia of wind. We've got like, our footprint is so much of the Atlantic. So why don't we just build loads of windmills and harness all of that? If the reason is that our grid is too panjax to be able to deal with the proceeds of our initiatives, that's they have extra. You basically have extra wind which is just sitting there or they have to just basically just, it just gets lost into the ether because of that. And that's hugely infuriating if you're having people who are basically having that discussion in their home about when it comes around to winter again, Mm do we eat or do we heat the home? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that sort of thing becomes really infuriating. And, and, and I, nationally, we're facing blackouts next winter as well. Not not the winter just coming, winter 2023, which is why they've had to do that thing that you just mentioned about taking some of the money off the levy because they know that electricity is going to become dearer next year because they're going to have to pay for generators that they're going to hire in to keep the country running over the winter. But Kevin McPartland, who's the CEO of Fuels for Ireland, said to us the other day on Monday, he said that the government is taking in around 25 million extra a month in tax from petrol and diesel mm. than this time last year. So like, That's despite the cut. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why is that not being, Gavin, do you think, given back to people? Um, why isn't... I, I, I the million think dollar question, I, of I, course, I, yeah. I, I do, I get the impression now that they... You keep getting ministers who are asked about this and Leo Varadkar was asked about this again on Tuesday and he was sort of like, you know, we haven't haven't ruled out doing something before the budget. But, they but keep, Eamon Ryan did rule out well, doing something before the, the, the budget the, the other day. They keep talking about uh, the budget because like the budget coming up in October, it's still four months away. I can't believe we're already thinking about the budget, but it's going to be such a big thing because there's a public sector pay talks going on right now where, where public sector workers are going to naturally want more money mm. to deal with rising costs. But the government also needs to try and put some money back in people's pockets through payroll tax cuts. There might be an increase in the minimum wage as well. The government has to pay for all of its climate stuff. And the government is going to have to increase public spending generally across the board because money doesn't go as far as it did last year. Mm. So it's going to have to do all of those things. And I basically get the impression that, that it's going to be such a difficult needle to thread in four months' time that they don't really have the mental bandwidth to discuss giving back the windfall that they're getting from higher excise right now, which is mad. Okay, considering how crazily pushed people are. Um, but they just don't feel like they can do it. There's also an argument that EU rules, depending on who you believe, don't actually allow you to cut excise by any more than the government has already done. The opposition parties don't accept that. They have different interpretations of the law, but it gets very into the nitty gritty. But there, there's an argument that you actually can't cut excise more than what they did a few months ago. I think ago. this idea, though, of being like, oh, we're so busy, we don't have the... But I'm telling you now, mm. people... People are raging. Mm. They are raging over the cost of petrol, diesel, not being able to buy a house. These are things that are so personal to people. Mm. They'd want to put it at the top of the list and find the bandwidth now because I'm telling you, these are the type of things that would 
make or break mm. a government, I think. Well, I mean, we're hearing from these people every yeah. day. I can't get over it. You said, Richard, that, you know, if there's uh, some childcare providers that are talking about having to close rooms because they can't accommodate the staff, ultimately, if those staff do get accommodated, then it, they're going, those staff are probably going to need to be paid more than they previously were, which is going to push up the cost of childcare mm. for, uh, as a general headline bill. So the government's going to probably try and do something in October to lower the cost of childcare. But if everyone else's costs are going to naturally rise because they can't get the staff unless they can afford a very expensive apartment in an urban area, then we're not going to get out of this. No, we're not. I also just want to put a quick note as well on the fact that all of the main energy and oil giants are making record profits at this time. So <laughs> uh, have, a, have a quick thought about those guys yeah. as you go to sleep. <laughs> so, somebody's having a cheery experience in the middle of all of this. In other news uh, this week... Um, I suppose we'll make a quick mention of, of Brexit and the Northern Protocol. Mm. Obviously, Boris Johnson's government has decided it wants to change that. They've effectively broken international law in the words of the European Union and the Irish government uh, with relations apparently at a new low between Ireland and Britain. Probably not the case. Probably between Europe case, and Britain, you know, probably there, not the case. There were wars and starvation and armed conflicts. and We've had lower lows, but it's not a great, we're yeah. a great bar yeah. here. So a lot of people will have heard about the Northern Ireland Protocol I think that the best way to quickly get through that today is just to hear from somebody who's lived and worked along the border all the way through the last number of years. His name is Justin McNulty, uh, former Ireland winner, he's a farmer, but also an SDLP MLA for Armagh. Take back control, they said. Deliver Brexit to take back control. This is now out of control. This is a consequence of uh, rampaging Boris and Johnson's demagoguery, essentially slavishly being subservient to the ERG, who are like a, a cast of villains from a Disney movie. They don't give a damn about the consequences to people and businesses here who tell me of the, the positive dividends of the protocol. You know, manufacturers are talking about their order book being doubled or trebled, and this proposal will run roughshod through the protocol, which is an international agreement. They're going to break international law to keep themselves in jobs. Not a lot of love for the island next to us. No. You can see where I'm going with this. But there's plenty of love up for grabs. I love Ireland this year. Oh, which has been segue. such a distraction. It's what? been such a... Sorry, no. sorry. Such Stop. a distraction. A You're welcome. Well, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, Thank you. Give me a clap. That was great. Well done, you. But for many people, including us, our own group chat has been hopping Mm. Um, this week. I think it's the thing we've texted about the most. This <laughs> the, 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 our chat is never busier than between 9 and 10. Yeah. So genuinely. Love Island. Yeah. Where are we standing on this new series? I think it's gotten going quicker than previous series have. I think that's probably because of the, the, the change in format where the public voted to put couples together rather than allowing them to do their own little sort of merry dance and it's a very slow burner where they're trying to get to know each other. They're kind of thrust in with relationships with people they might not like. Um, all about Team Dammy. Oh, love Dammy. Da- Dammy, love Dammy. Do we have a new national treasure in the making? I think I love Dammy. Dammy is, I think, like, the most like emotionally intelligent person that there's been in a house like that for ages. Yeah. Because, like, what was the the row where um, Andrew and Tasha were in one of those those uh, challenge games? Sorry, I'm not <laughs> talking about these people. Oh, yeah, like I know and so them. she crawled towards. <laughs> yeah, so she, she crawled towards uh, yeah. Andrew and then pivoted at the last minute to go and kiss Luke instead. And Dammy was, was sensible enough to go. Well, you know, uh, you probably shouldn't have done that. And the reason why he didn't then go and kiss you afterwards is because you didn't kiss him. And it's probably a whole spiral thing. And maybe you two should just go and talk about it. It's kind like, of voice of reason. Like, it, I'd imagine the producers are probably almost like pulling their hair out going, no, we're not supposed to have someone who's so emotionally level-headed. <laughs> like, st- stop what the so show sensible. is sensible. Yeah. What drama. Yeah. I am sorry for anybody who doesn't like Love Island and is very annoyed that this is how we're rounding things off. But Zara, what is it about this year's series that has you 
interested in what because you weren't you were you weren't 100 percent on whether you'd watch it yeah no i wasn't so i hadn't watched it last week and then i binge watched four episodes on thursday night last week with my mum actually watching a one with your mum is uh, oh my god <laughs> my wow. mum's opinion you have to explain any terminology and stuff not so she's flying it but she just is like she understands the, the getting of ick getting yeah, of ick i suppose i kind of felt after the first four episodes i was saying to both of you like that i didn't think that like there was any particular chemistry between any of them. Like I didn't think that, I didn't even think that anyone was doing gra- any grafting as it were. I didn't, for the yeah. first four episodes, I was kind of like, okay, is there going to, like, and then it just totally kicked off, didn't kicked it? Kind off. of from Friday and Sunday night. You start inserting new people. You insert Davide and then Ekansu yeah. and Afia. Because but- I messaged Orla Condon after I watched the first four episodes, Orla does my pod on paper. And I was like, Orla, these people don't even like each other. Like, what are we going to do? And I really was like catastrophizing. And now I'm like, no, now we're loving it. Um, I suppose in terms of who's kind of providing the best entertainment value, you couldn't deny that Ekansu and Davide Ekansu are and absolutely Davide. bringing the entertainment to the table. Um, I really like Gemma. I think Gemma's a young 19, though. I think we've talked about this. I think yeah. that it's, you know, she's, I think in some ways she's kind of quite shy, actually, for somebody who's, you know. Michael Owen's daughter. Michael Owen's daughter, yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I, the I, I don't know if Gemma should be there. Because she's I, so I, young. Not, not, well, yeah, basically, as a function of being so young, I basically don't think that look, the villa is a place you should go if you haven't had, like, a solid adult relationship. That's what she's doing with Jack. Although, sorry, the Jacks thing, can I ask you a question about this? Why like, is we haven't spoken about this. I don't know. It's, that's the most yeah. annoyingly, you know, that's the most annoying contracts with how, between how a name is spelt and pronounced. Or whatever. Yeah. Just can I, we didn't actually talk about this beforehand, but, like, I'm curious to know the context of that relationship in a sense that they obviously broke up a year and a half ago, right? And they were together for eight months. Yeah. But how did they actually spend that much time together when like the UK was basically in lockdown? Like yeah. was it so was it very much a what kind like, of you know what I mean? Were they yeah. actually spending that much time together? Like that's what I'm wondering. It's so, so difficult to know, but basically yeah. I just didn't, don't think the villa is anywhere for someone who hasn't had like a proper sustained adult relationship like that. Like it like the, the Amy Hart example a couple of years ago yeah. where she was gonna gonna tell Curtis that she loved him and uh, basically had to leave because that was her first fleeting experience of actually being in a relationship with anyone. Yeah. Like I just don't think she should be there. Were you applauding Davide or Ekin Sue? Exactly. Both, he loves that both agents of chaos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no commitment to anybody in that island. In that island, uh, they are there just 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 to cause as much mayhem as possible. And that's what it's about. Yeah. There's too many people who are there, and they're too softly, softly. I did not think I'd be watching this every night, and it's it just to, to quote Michael Corleone. Just when I thought I was out, <laughs> they well, pulled me back in. We're missing it right now while we're recording, yeah. actually. I- I'm just getting, I'm really entertained by how Davide was basically God's gift when he walked into the place and now there's newer lads and suddenly he's a bit like peeved that there's some other new dashing young fellas that are in to turn women's heads. I kinda and love kind of that's annoying, I love it. Annoyed. Yeah, I no, love no, that. I'm here for the drama, but like yeah. I I love how he's gone from hero to zero that quickly. I'm just really impressed by that. One of the interesting points about Davide, who must become some sort of a mascot for the group chat now, such as his, his entertainment <laughs> value, is that how much the other lads loved him. They were, or, or were like, ah, we can't compete with this guy. For the first like two or three days, they're like, oh, he's he's so good looking and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Which I thought was just interesting. Based I think on though, like, you know, there's so much more to attraction than than just appearance. I don't know if like for me, Davide would be the hottest one there. Um, do we think Gemma and Jax are going to get together? Like, okay, let's call it before next week because obviously there's a bit of flirting going on. Luke is kind of fumigated. Do we think they're going to get together? Not not before this time next week, but yeah, I wouldn't I rule so. it out over the rest of the summer. What do you reckon? I don't see that coalition for me. Do you not see that coalition for me? I don't see that coalition for I me. I think Gemma still totally fancies the RSO. 
Wow. And I think your man Jax, though, like, I think he likes kind of triggering her and annoying her. So I think there's going to be a bit of a back and forth there for yeah. a while. For the good of our listeners, I don't think we're going to be returning to Love Island all of the time. No. We might when something something major happens, you'll hear about it here well, first. If, if Gemma and Jax do get together, we're going to have to address oh, it next week. Come back, yeah. Address our shoddy analysis. Of like I called it. What a podcast, by the way. <laughs> what a podcast that it is. Don't say we don't give you all sorts. All the we issues. We talk about monetary policy and housing and everything else and Love Island. We get the high and the lowbrow on this. We will be back next <laughs> week with more. Uh, I've been Richard Chambers. Uh, joining me today, big thanks to Zara King and Gavin Riley. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, guys. See you next Bye, week. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.